Well, if no one has wished you a happy new year yet, happy new year. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are kicking off a brand new year. Uh, most people like to kick off the new year, but uh, we, we not only kick off a new year, but we kick away the year that happened before us. Um, my wife Lisa and I celebrate our wedding anniversary, so we celebrated. It was a lot of fun. Uh, as we look back, you know, I realize there are a lot of people who have been going through challenges with things like depression and anxiety, loneliness, and things of that nature, and shine a little light on uh, the good things that God is doing in the world. And one of the toughest things that he's done, something that he uh, uh, revealed to me when we launched the RogerMarsh.com website, was I was looking for a way to kind of describe what we do here on the Bottom Line Show in terms of, uh, you know, looking at current events from a biblical worldview. I've had so many calls recently, uh, people just saying, appreciate the program, love what you guys are doing, and then that feedback is so very, very helpful. Um, and so toward that end, um, I, we, we created a new segment here on the program They just launched last year called the Analysis, Balance, and Clarity segment. And what that is a reference to, I call it the ABCs. Um, if you do analysis of a uh, project or uh, maybe a, an issue, uh, whether it be abortion or uh, human trafficking or, you know, anything that has to do with the human condition, we do analysis on it and we do it in such a way that people who are, um, you know, kind of wrestling through the issues would find a way to not be so polarized by said issues. Um, case in point, a, a, a colleague that I've respected for many years in the broadcast world uh, posted something a couple of weeks ago, so week before Christmas, and it was, you know, this is why I got vaccinated. And uh, it was a very interesting uh, piece to hear him talk about, you know, his reasoning for doing so. And he, you know, brought some very altruistic uh, pieces about, uh, you know, how important it was to want to protect others and protect each other. And, you know, I've gotten other vaccines before, and I did so, so I wouldn't get mumps or, you know, whatever it was. And, and you know, and I, I really respected what he said. But then in conclusion it was and that's why everybody needs to be vaccinated because if you're not then we're all going to die and i thought well wait, whoa, whoa that was that was a bit of an overreach it kind of escalated rather quickly but when you look at the way the media reports on things using COVID as an example go to the cdc website and you will see nothing on there other than gloom and doom and uh Seriously, I was just there the other day and uh, looking at the site and realizing that everything on the CDC site, I understand it's the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And so the, the vaccine would be very appealing to the CDC because the idea of having a vaccine means you're preventing the spread of COVID-19 or the Delta variant, Omicron, whatever you want to call it, because the, they're just the variants are going to keep coming up. But understanding that fact and then realizing that um, if you go to the CDC, though, the one thing they do not talk about now, they did for a while, you have to dig to find it, but they spend very precious little time talking about actual treatments for coronavirus. It's all about prevention. And, you know, in all honesty, brothers and sisters, when it comes to stopping a virus from infecting or spreading, it is kind of like trying to catch a speeding bullet out of a gun. You know, I mean, it's a virus for crying out loud. Viruses mutate. Viruses go where they go. If you put up some shield against a virus, it's going to, uh, well, it's going to find a way around it. The ABCs of COVID allow us to do analysis on this and say, on the one hand, yes, we completely understand there are people who got the jab because they wanted to make sure that they would stop the spread. They were told that this was a quote unquote cure and that if you got the jab, you'd be fine, kind of like getting a flu shot and you don't get the flu. Well, 
I come at it a little differently because the one time I got a flu shot, I got the flu. <laughs> that was the worst flu year I ever had. And when you talk for a living, I said, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I haven't had a flu shot in forever. I mean, I, I did get one coming out of the hospital because flu and pneumonia could have been deadly with the compromised lung capacity that I had coming out of my open heart surgery. So yeah, I, I totally got why I needed not only a flu shot, but also a pneumonia shot. In all honesty, pneumonia seems worse to me than flu. I don't understand why more people don't get pneumonia shots, but nonetheless. But analysis, balance, and clarity gives us a chance to look at an issue like that and say, okay, what are the real actual facts? Let, let me take myself out of it for just a moment and let's see what the real facts are. So when we look at the political rhetoric that says, you know, when Donald Trump was president, there were 200,000 deaths. I think it was 350,000 by the time he left office. And the, the press were screaming, well, if we had a vaccine, this wouldn't be a problem. Well, look at the CDC death toll. And a week before Christmas, it went over 802,000. So if you do the math, more people died in Joe Biden's first year in office than they did in Donald Trump's last year in office because of COVID. So, I mean, to be honest with you, um, if you just want to look at it that way, then quite frankly, Joe Biden and the vaccine are responsible for more death than Donald Trump and not vaccine. Now, obviously, that's a gross oversimplification, but this is what we're talking about in terms of doing analysis, balance and clarity on a particular issue. You know, if you're trusting the science, then you know that the science is always changing. I mean, I have a daughter who's a science researcher, uh, graduate student right now, and she said, look, the science is never settled. I mean, if the science were settled, then we'd still be bloodletting and using leeches. And I mean, there are so many archaic uh, ways of treating illness and disease in this country and in this culture that if we did not test the science all the time, if we just kept trusting in a blind faith, we'd be amputating limbs that didn't need to be amputated and people would be dying from diseases they didn't need to die for. So there's a, there has to be a healthy level of skepticism, and that's why the A in, in the ABCs is analysis. The B is balance. That just means you find uh, writings from two different res uh, segments of the population. You know, so toward that end, analysis, balance, then that gives us clarity to see the issue for what's really there uh, to uh, you know, not think about what isn't really there. And then you get into the D of the equation, and that's discernment. How do we as Christians live in this world as citizens of heaven, residents of earth, law-abiding, voting citizens who live legally and peaceably with all people as much as it pertains to us, that's Romans 12, but to be good citizens in, in, in the citizenry. And so I've uh, got a couple of ABC stories to share with you today. Also, a reality check from uh, an author and a speaker who is uh, well-versed in the issue of growing old. We're going to talk about what it means to be a grown-up, what it means to be an adult, and why that is so difficult for the baby boom generation, especially as they move into the senior years. Okay, let's take a quick break. As we continue, our first ABC story uh, focuses on a pastor at a church in Texas is going to do something that has always happened with this ministry. Um, this is a woman who preaches regularly on what she thinks is a great evil in the world, and that is people who want to take a woman's right away to kill her preborn child. A, a, a pastor who grew up in a pro-life home with missionary parents. Um, Sanctity of Life Month, of course, is the month of January because of uh, Roe versus Wade's passage on January 22nd, 1973, which really launched the pro-life movement to end abortion in this country. But when you have people in the pulpit 
preaching out in favor of abortion and the reasons that they use, well, it's very, very interesting to see how this all plays out. We'll talk about that in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to the first edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're doing our first analysis, balance, and clarity segment for the brand new year. This is Sanctity of Life Month. Of course, uh, the pro-life community goes all out, and that will not set well with a pastor in Austin, the state capital, by the name of Reverend Amelia Fulbright. This is a woman who has been in uh, advocating for the lives of, uh, of women who support abortion in the church for many, many years. It's very interesting because she gave an interview to a publication called The Cut. And in that interview, she said she, abort, she supports abortion, quote, because she believes a woman's body is sacred. Now, I found that fascinating that a pastor would find this argument, this line of reasoning, uh, to, to be acceptable as far as Scripture goes. You know, we hear this so much in January in particular, but all the year round, how more and more church parishioners are saying, I wish my pastor would talk more about what's happening in the world of politics, what's happening in the world around us, and especially with regard to the sanctity of human life. And many people in the church have gotten frustrated with the fact there are pastors who will not take a positive stand for the pro-life community. I have a feeling I know why, to be perfectly honest with you. Because uh, as a pastor and someone who's been in the broadcast world now and, and with the people that I've met who are post-abortive, I realize this is one place that's kind of a black eye for the church, no question about it. And that is the number of post-abortive women who are in churches who feel as though if they share their story about having an abortion, they'll be ostracized. Or worse yet, they do share their story about having an abortion and they are ostracized. Add to that a study by a pro-life organization called CareNet that indicated that the number of women who have abortions inside the church, I mean, not in the actual sanctuary, but you know what I mean, people who are Bible-believing, God-fearing, I-go-to-church-every-Sunday Christians make up 54% of the population who abort their children. 54%. I mean, when we talk about having a ministry for the sanctity of human life, Oftentimes it's, well, let's go to the streets, let's go to the abortion clinics, let's talk to you know people outside the church. Brothers and sisters, that statistic alone was enough to change my mind as to why we need to address the evils of abortion in the church, in the pulpit, in the Sunday school class, in the Bible study, in the small group. And doing so 
means that we have to look at some of the uncomfortable realities. Reality number one, there are those in the church who do get abortions. Number two, there are those in the church who have had abortions. Maybe a young girl gets an abortion when she's you know, in her late teens and then comes to faith and then starts going to church. And as they start talking about you know, some of the emotional problems that happen, some of the physical problems that happen. And I'm not saying that it happens to every woman. I, I've talked to many women who are post-abortive who did not have any physical problems after the fact. No psychological damage, no uh, desire for you know depression or anxiety. I mean, they just they it didn't affect them that way. But statistically, we know that the data is true that there's a 500% greater chance that a post-abortive woman would consider suicide or experience a severe depression than a woman who has not had an abortion. See, that's analysis, balance, and clarity. It doesn't mean that every woman who gets an abortion wants to take her own life, but it does mean that there's a five times greater chance that it will happen if you do. Okay, that, that's, that is, that's analysis, balance, and clarity in a nutshell and what we in the body of Christ, I believe, should be doing a much better job of. So back to the Reverend Amelia Fulbright. She has a very interesting view on the sanctity of human life because when it comes to the sanctity of human life, she honestly believes that mom has all sorts of rights and privileges that should be honored, but the baby does not. In the interview, this is what the group, a publication called The Cut, this is what Reverend Albright said, quote, uh, she talked about, well, I'll give you a little backstory here first. This is a young woman who grew up in a conservative Christian home. Her parents were missionaries. They were pro-life missionaries. Uh, they, were, they lived in Zambia for a while. Then they moved to North Carolina. They started attending a church where the church celebrated Sanctity of Life Sunday every year. And so, fair enough. I mean, that's, that, she, that was kind of the family credo. That's what they, they believed. And this is where cultural Christianity took over. By the time Amelia entered into, uh, se- uh, not, not seminary yet, she went to college and she started taking philosophy courses. And while she was taking college philosophy courses, she met a group of feminists who began to challenge her Christian beliefs. So interestingly enough, she kind of took the, uh, the, the challenge there as, a, okay, well, I need to know more about my faith. So she actually enrolled in seminary. And when she enrolled in seminary, that's when her worldview was changed. She said in the interview, she learned that Jewish teaching held that until a baby's first breath, the life of its mother took precedence. For Reverend Fulbright, this was a revelation. She realized that her religious upbringing had always implicitly taught the opposite. In ways, large and small, women were meant to sacrifice their own lives, their needs and their hopes and their desires for their children. Now, what's very interesting about this is she heard that in seminary and decided, well, if that's the case, no, 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 wait. Mom has the right to say, my life is more valuable than yours, baby. And until that baby takes its first breath, that's the key. Until that baby takes its first breath, mom takes precedence. Now, how many times have you heard the story of a woman whose life was in danger, she was pregnant, and the doctors recommended if we end the pregnancy, we can we have a better chance of saving your life because your body's compromised in the sense, in a good way, obviously, that there's a baby in there. That baby's growing and kicking and moving around and squirming and breathing. Wait, what? Wait, breathing. Breathing. 
do babies breathe in the womb? Well, if the Jewish teaching held that until a baby's first breath, the life of its mother took precedence, but they're assuming that that baby doesn't breathe until outside the womb, doesn't have a heart that's beating, doesn't need nourishment, doesn't move around, doesn't have feelings. And so all of a sudden you begin to see, well, wait a minute. If I were told that the baby in the womb is just kind of sitting there, taking on nourishment, growing, getting fully formed, but is not going to become a human being until that baby pops out of the womb and starts crying, then I might use the same quote-unquote logic. But in all honesty, one Jewish sect teaching that until a baby's first breath, the life of the mother takes precedence. Well, of course, mom's life is more important than the baby's in the sense that if mom's not alive, baby can't be alive and can't grow either. But it's like our regular contributor and friend, Dr. Alveda King says here on this program, it's a love them both situation. You love the mom and the baby. You realize that you you can't have a baby without the mom, but at the same time, the baby's life has value as well. And what Reverend Fulbright does not mention is that what she heard is actually just one interpretation of that teaching. Many rabbis teach that abortion is wrong because, well, I mean, let's face it, the obvious is it destroys a human life, innocent and created in the image of God. The mother's life is valuable, but so is her child's even before birth. The interview also hinted a claim that uh, has only kind of surfaced recently. It kind of showed up in the 70s and the 80s. The question is, what about the value of the unborn child and the evils of abortion? There are some in the progressive side of Christianity that believe that the church has not always opposed abortion. The reality is the true church always has. Christianity has always been opposed to it. And the pro-life position is certainly not oppressive as it stands. Reverend Fulbright tells her congregation, quote, the best any of us can do when we're talking about abortion is to draw from what we feel are the core teachings of Scripture. And she believes that the reason that Jesus would be in favor of abortion was that his ministry centered around, quote, liberating people from systems and structures that oppressed them, whether that was the poor or the women he brought into the center of his teaching when that was seen as taboo by religious authorities. But she takes it a step further. And we'll talk about that in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Our analysis, balance, and clarity segment focusing here in Sanctity of Life Month on the interview that we'll put up at thebottomlineshow.com, an interview with a woman called the Reverend Amelia Fulbright. Uh, She's a pastor in Austin, Texas, and has taken it upon herself to basically give what she calls, uh, you know, empowering messages to women and the church uh, because she says according to a recent interview, that she believes a woman's body is sacred according to, uh, to Jewish tradition and therefore the mother has precedent over the life of the baby. She said, I believe so deeply in the dignity of every person that our bodies are so sacred, I just feel like I have no choice but to speak out because what she learned in seminary was according to Jewish tradition that until the baby's first breath, the life of the mother takes precedence. Now, you know, what's interesting about that is that doesn't mean the life of the baby has no value. 
of course, most people would agree that the mother's life does have to take precedence in the sense that if the mother's not alive, the baby can't be alive either, right? I mean, you saw the resentencing of Scott Peterson recently. You remember Lacey and Connor, his uh, former wife, and who was eight months pregnant with their son, and he murdered them and then was going to run off with some woman, and they literally passed it. It was Connor's law. Uh, that means in the People's Republic of California, if you kill a woman who is pregnant and the baby also dies, it's a double homicide. Well, and the fact that she said, you know, when she went to seminary and her religious upbringing with pro-life parents, missionaries to Zambia, et cetera, et cetera, that they always, she got the impression that they said the baby's more important than the mom. And that was counter to what Jesus taught about, you know, trying to lift up the poor and the impoverished, and the oppressed, et cetera, et cetera. But it's interesting how that mentality makes it an either or then, that polarizing conversation that says you have to give the mother's life precedence, therefore the baby's life has no value, and if the mom wants to have an abortion, you have to let mom do what she's going to do. Rather than saying, hey, look, mom's life has to have precedence in the sense that you can't pay so much attention to the health of the baby in the womb that you ignore the health of the mother who's carrying her. You have to pay attention to both. And so this is for for Reverend Fulbright, who preaches several times a year on what she calls liberating people from systems and structures that oppress them. It sounds like leftist dogma to me, quite frankly. She said, look, that's what Jesus' ministry was centered around, was liberating people from systems and structures, to which I say, oh, please don't shoot so short. Don't aim so low. Jesus' ministry wasn't about liberating people from oppressive systems of government and injustice and this, that, and the other thing. The, the most oppressive system is sin, and everybody is sentenced to death unless you are delivered from sin. The other stuff is just details. People are going to be cruel to each other. Communist dictatorships are going to be cruel to people of the Christian faith and non the Christian faith. Quite frankly, once you become a Christian who's delivered from your sin, you have an even bigger target on your back. But the idea that you could limit Jesus and make him so small to say, Jesus came to make sure that marginalized women had a fair share at the table. I mean, that's a benefit of being a part of the body of Christ. But in Christ, there is no male or female, Greek or Jew, slave or free. I mean, read the scriptures for crying out loud. Don't just limit yourself to, well, Jesus' most important part of his ministry was that he helped marginalized women have a seat at the table. No, that's not. The most important part of his ministry was that he went and paid the penalty for your sin and my sin, male or female. That's the liberating part. And so Reverend Fulbright is actually praying at the whole women's health abortion clinic in Austin, urging other pastors to get involved. There's a group called Just Texas, justice for Texas abortion rights. And she's encouraging other pastors to do the same. She's fighting against the Texas heartbeat law. But the analysis balancing clarity says, look, quite frankly, the science really is settled on this one. A baby is a living living human being. His or her own unique DNA comes into existence at the moment of conception, full stop. Scientists, biology textbooks, other experts agree bad enough when a non-religious person makes a claim like this, but somebody who claims to carry the mantle of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's even tougher. Please keep Reverend Fulbright in your prayers as she continues to preach these sermons about, you know, (laughs) that issue. As we continue, why is it so difficult for people in their later years to grow old gracefully? Uh, Alice Freiling is an author, a blogger, and a speaker who has written a new book on this subject. It's called Aging Faithfully, 
The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. My conversation with Alice Freiling coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Hey, Roger Marsh here with a special announcement for our friends at Preborn. This Sunday, December 31st, is the end of the year. It's also the end of the calendar year. It's also the last chance you have to make a tax-deductible donation to Preborn to support the ministry of providing free ultrasounds for women who are expecting and not quite sure what their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, your $28 donation provides an ultrasound visit and also will be doubled, so that's worth $56. If you make a $15,000 donation right now, which is a great thing to do if you have the means. It's a great tax deduction for you. It provides one ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic right here in the Southland. But also, since the gift is doubled, your one ultrasound machine becomes two. But you have to act before midnight, December 31st. Give a gift online at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner that you find right there. It doesn't take more than a minute to make the donation that way. Or give them a call, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY. 850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Preborn is the best pro-life ministry I've come across in years. The preborn ultrasound technology is life-changing and life-saving. Give a gift today. You know, it's something that we're doing every day. As a matter of fact, it's something that we start doing the minute we're born. And yet the question is, how do we actually grow older? What, what what exactly is involved in that? Is it just a matter of showing up every day, making sure you take your vitamins, get some exercise, and then see what God has in store for you? Or is there a way we could be a little bit more intentional? Uh, Alice Freiling is with me today here on The Bottom Line to have a conversation about a brand new book of hers. It's just now out, and I love the subtitle of the book. The book is called Aging Faithfully, The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Alice Freiling, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger. Alice Freiling is a spiritual director, a best-selling author of 10 books on relationships and spiritual formation, and you're also well-versed in Myers-Briggs, which is for, you know, a generation or so ago, and Enneagram workshops. Uh, talk about, could you give us just a little bit of an overview of what the Enneagram is, because I'm sure for everybody who says, hey, I'm a thinking, feeling, you know, whatever the Myers-Briggs designation was, they look at Enneagram and go, you guys are crazy. What's a two? What's a three? I don't really fully understand that. Well, that's pretty much what I thought when I heard about the Enneagram. I didn't even know how to pronounce it. Um, But I loved Myers-Briggs, and I figured, well, you know, if letters work, maybe numbers work. So Mm -hmm. I'm a person, I I just want to know what motivates me, and then I want to know what motivates my husband and my neighbors. And I, I love understanding what goes on on the inside of us, I guess is the way I would say. Mm-hmm. And in the Enneagram, there are nine different spaces or types. And in each, each I call them spaces. Some people call them types. Um, in each space, it describes what, what our gifts are and then how we overplay our gifts when we're um, under, well, particularly when we're under stress or when we really want to impress people. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot to do with the true self and the false self, if those terms are familiar to you. Sure. Um, yeah. And the Enneagram describes our false self in living color. Um, so one of the, the first space on the Enneagram is the number one, and it happens to be one that's easy to pick on because we, we're all a little bit of all of them, but we also uh-huh. have a home space. But all of us understand probably what it means to be a perfectionist. And the number ones are the people that we would probably call they're the ones who always improve things, and 
the bottom line is that their goal is to be perfect. Um, so when they're under stress, they overplay their giftedness to improve things. And they mm. say, this isn't good enough, so I want it to be perfect. And then the Enneagram tells what happens when that doesn't, when we don't get our way on that. Mm-hmm. And most often for the number one person, they are familiar with anger. And so they get really angry, not so much always at other people, sometimes at other people, but more often at themselves because they can't be perfect. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing in each space is the gift that's offered to that space. And I personally love the one, I'm not a number one myself, but um, I love the gift of the number one, it's serenity. Mm. And it's the ability to accept that things are good enough. Mm-hmm. And another way people say it, it's a non-reactivity mm. to life. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Enneagram is just full of words. It's not um, prescriptive. It doesn't say this is who you have to be because this is who you are, but it's descriptive. Mm, I like and that. When, when you see yourself in the Enneagram, it just lightens up um, an understanding of why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I actually... Uh, well, oh, go ahead. Well, and to me, knowing the Enneagram has been immensely helpful as I've gotten older. Yeah. Because I find that the false self has grown old with me. Mm. And so I have not outgrown the Enneagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love that. And Alice Freiling, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, not that we're here to talk about Enneagrams per se, but it's kind of a nice uh, preamble, if you will, uh, and, and a forward to her new book called Aging Faithfully and uh, the Holy Invitation of Growing Older. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com because, as you note in the book, you know, we get older. And so, you know, things start changing. I mean, we and it's probably one of the first times in a lot of people's lives where they take a look at the fact that, you know, maybe the career didn't work out the way I wanted to. Maybe the relationships aren't happening the way they, they were. And then there's the toughest thing, I know, especially for us guys, uh, all of a sudden you don't have as much physical stamina. You, you need a little more help. You know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's tough to move into that. Uh, but you call this a holy invitation to grow. Why, why do you call it a holy invitation, Alice Freiling? Well, my premise is, and I, really, I wrote the book for myself, first of all, because I was mm-hmm. looking for a book that would help me navigate the spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were a lot of wonderful books out there about aging and wonderful memoirs. But, of course, I had my own questions, and I couldn't find a book that answered my own questions. And so I decided to look back on my life and see what have I learned and how does it apply to this season of life. And my premise when I started was that we wouldn't grow older if it weren't God's plan for us. I mean, not everyone does grow older, but mm-hmm. um, those of us, I'm 77, so those of us who are well into our senior years wouldn't be there if it weren't God's plan. Right. And that's why I came up with this thought that underneath all of the losses of growing older, there really are invitations. Mm. And I'm, the book was extremely life-giving for me to write. And I have to say, one of the things that surprises me is I'm... You know, I'm getting older, and I don't always like the law. I, I never do like the losses, actually, but I have a hard time remembering the invitations. And so sometimes on a bad day, I get out my own book and read it myself. <laughs> I think that's great. That's wonderful. And I and I appreciate you with the, the vin and vigor that you have into your 77th year. I was talking recently with uh, Jonathan Kane from Journey, who's now a worship leader, and he does stuff with a band still. He'll be 72 in a little bit. And I, and I, I was noticing on his timeline, I said, you know, it seems to me, you know, if I don't, don't mind me saying this, 
that the past 10 years have been the most productive and the most spiritually beneficial for you in your entire life. He said, oh, absolutely, no question. Forget the fact that we were, we were touring and playing to millions of people and writing some of the best love songs ever. It wasn't until God got a hold of him for real in about 2015. He said it just turned by, he goes, now I have all this new energy. He, I, I had COVID and I wrote five songs for the band while I was recovering. I just prayed it away. I mean, I've got this, I've got this sense of purpose. And it seems like more and more people, Alice, and I, I, this is anecdotal for me, it seems like more and more people as they hit their 60s, their 70s, even their 80s, um, really are, are sensing, hey, this isn't just a time of buying the Winnebago and kind of riding out your years, but rather it's a very fulfilling time. It really is a time when God continues to uh, refine us and, and help us mature. Talk about why it's important to embrace those changes as opposed to trying to fight them. Well, fighting takes a lot of energy, and we don't have a lot of energy. <laughs> so there would be one reason. Well said, um, yes. But the other day I came across um, the first beatitude, the way it was translated in the message. It's, and this was from the Luke version, not the mm -hmm. Matthew version of the beatitudes. It's blessed are those who mourn. That's the way we're familiar with it. But in the message it says you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. Mm. And I read that, and I thought, wow, that's just like getting older. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we lose, we really, I, you know, a lot of people do have sort of new vigor in their 60s, but for some people, the 60s are the beginning of losing more energy. And, yes. and we, we lose energy, we lose opportunity. For many people, it's a time of retirement, so we lose our jobs, we lose things that are, we didn't even know they validated us all our life. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said that when we've lost it all, God's kingdom is there for the finding. And so I feel like, you know, I'm kind of on this dig for gold in this right. mine of, go right. of getting older, that God's mm -hmm. kingdom is here. Yeah. And it's quite exciting. Not for me, it's not with more energy, but it is exciting. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine that it's there's there's more passion. There's more focus. There's things that even when you did have more physical energy, uh, you might not have had the spiritual stamina for. And now yeah. you begin to see that uh, in the same way that that marathon runner uh, may not be running a whole lot faster at mile 10 than they were at mile two, they're in that rhythm and they're moving farther and they can go further as a result of the fact that they've gotten in that rhythm. And, and it seems like th th that's one of the, uh, the aspects of aging faithfully, is it not, Alice Freiling, the fact that as we move into this holy invitation uh, to just grow older, Older, that we find that stride, we find that rhythm, and we really are, to uh, quote the scriptures, uh, able to cast off the things that hinder us so that we can run the race that's before us. One of the things that, I think I almost have to say I discovered it when I wrote it, but one of the things in my <laughs> yeah. book is um, that we begin to focus more on, less on productivity and tasks, and we focus more on the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Mm -hmm. And that's a, um, I think... That really describes a lot of our journey in aging. So I can no longer be as productive. I no longer have a resume. Um, other people are doing the job better. But I'm free to focus on the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And that is that brings so much freedom. So when, for instance, I'm with my grandchildren, um, I don't have to be as productive as I was, for instance, with my mm -hmm. own children. Yes, and one of the things people say, and I'm, I think I see it in myself, but it seems strange, that grand, grandparents are often a peaceful presence in the family, mm -hmm. and that's the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. 
and we have the I have the time now to sit and just listen to my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I mean, about what's important to them, mm-hmm. and that's loving them. Yes. So I think I am finding the kingdom of God almost every day in ways that I haven't known it before. I think that's beautiful. Alice Freiling is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called Aging Faithfully, The Holy Invitation to Growing Older. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Alice Freiling is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Aging Faithfully is the brand new book, The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. We've got a link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com. Alice Freiling, a spiritual director and a best-selling author of 10 books on relationships and spiritual formations. Um, certified in Myers-Briggs, we talked a little bit about the Enneagram, too, and she and her husband, Bob, have two married daughters and a growing number. Your bio says four grandchildren. Are we still at four, Alice, or are we getting... No. No, we're, we're done. Four will oh, be it. Four's <laughs> it. Okay. That's, that's good to know because sometimes I'll say four and they'll say, actually, it's nine. And I'll say, okay, well, I got to, you know, back up because, um, yeah. you know, we want to we make sure that as we grow older, we have enough time and energy and stamina for our grandkids too. We were talking during the break about the things that you appreciate the most about uh, the senior season and moving forward here. And one of the things is the fact that when it comes to, uh, especially for someone who's been a Christian most of their life, if not all their lives, when you get to this season of, of, uh, of spiritual growth, Scripture rings a little truer. Maybe you start seeing things in the verses that you didn't see originally. Talk about how that's been so meaningful for you, Alice Freiling, as you've moved into this season of growing older. What has surprised me is how much, literally, verses that I memorized in high school I know I memorized them in high school because they're in King James English when I remember them. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and these verses are coming back to me. And when I, in my young adult years in college and my young adult years, and even up probably through my 50s, my idea of reading the Bible was, well, certainly read the Bible through the, all the way through in a year, at least once in a while, and read big passages and go to commentaries. And now I'm noticing single verses come back to me Hmm. And just means so much to me. And I have the, you know, now that I'm older, I have the privilege of being quiet for longer periods of time. And so sometimes I will bring something to God that's just either bothering me or important in my day. And I just sit quietly and a verse will come back to me that just, well, that's what happened with you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. I mean, that was a verse that just came to me, and I thought, I could think about this verse for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm, and I'd mm -hmm. still be plumbing the depths. So Scripture has become very real. I feel like the Holy Spirit is really whispering to my spirit through the Word of God, and that's always been true, but it's true in a new way right now, and mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure you do, and at the same time, I'm, well, I guess there's a lot of paradox to the growing old season. One of the things you also write about, too, is the fact that you this is the time of year or time of life when more and more people have to balance the whole idea of we've got our hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and at the same time we go through grief on a more regular basis because friends are passing away, we have health challenges. How do we balance that uh, holding on to hope while also processing grief, Alice Freiling? One of the things that I think can help us a lot with that is being very intentional about being, uh, intentional about being aware and being honest about who we are. So self-awareness, and a lot of us have kind of not gotten to old age with the 
vivid self-awareness because we, yep. you know, we think that's navel-gazing or something. Mm-hmm. But there are things happening in our bodies and in our spirits that we need to notice. And so when we notice something, like I'm happy about a lot of things, but I'm sad about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so there's some days where my prayer is just like, God, I don't even know if I can make it through today. I'm so tired. Or I'm so, another one that would be common was, I'm so sad because I can't do what I used to do when I was 50. Right. People, aren't, people aren't asking me to, and I wouldn't have the energy if they did. <laughs> so there's something about grieving the losses, and Scripture is full of grief. I mean, mm. to say that Christians shouldn't grieve probably, well, it's just non-biblical, because right, right. In, in Ecclesiastes it says it's better to go to funerals than to parties. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just saying, I, I'm, I'm really sad about this, and, and even putting into words in prayer the feelings that we have around that sadness. I mean, it might be feeling inadequate. It might be feeling cheated, or like this shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps us let go. There's some days when I pray like that, and then by the afternoon, I can't even remember what was bothering me. And mm. I think, whoa, that is really, that's a moment of grace in my life. I'll bet, I'll um, bet. Alice Freiling is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her new book is called Aging Faithfully, The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You also talk about you know, the fact that as we get older, there are certain times in our lives where we have to be so scheduled and so measured, so productive, so responsible, and now we have to embrace a certain level of irresponsibility, as you like to put it. Uh, help us understand what you mean by that. Well, that was another surprise for me. Um, I, I have always been a very responsible person. I mean, this sounds a little bit arrogant, but I would think about, you know, I get up in the morning and I think about what does my family need, what does the church need, and then in those days I used to read the newspaper and I'd say, are there any international responsibilities for me today? I mean, not literally, but I carried Mm -hmm. that weight. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was just prompting me to practice the discipline of irresponsibility because I was just weighed down the thought that Jesus promised a yoke that was easy and light and I just thought well I missed that one because this feels really (laughs) heavy and I thought about the Paul's comment in Ephesians we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God has prepared for us to do so I thought okay I'm going to practice the discipline of irresponsibility when I feel like I'm trying to talk myself into something that wasn't prepared by God, that I don't have energy to do, but my default position, I mean, especially as a grandparent, if my grandchildren need anything, I'd be there. Yeah. Never mind if I might not be able to really do it because I'd be falling on my face, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I learned what I actually, this is really literal, I would, if something came along that I just thought, oh, I just can't do that today. I lie down on the sofa, and I read a book. Hmm. And for some reason, lying down and being distracted by something, even for a few minutes, usually gives me a little more energy and a little more perspective. Mm -hmm. And so then I might even get up and do the thing that I turned down before, but it comes from a different place. Hmm. Um, It comes from really the Spirit of God in me giving me Uh this gift to offer. Yeah. 
and that's that's it's a gift that we have to learn how to receive and especially it's tough in a culture where we basically grow up and live as human doings for so many years oh, yeah. once we get once we get into this season uh the senior years are the time when we really can't appreciate the fact that we are human beings we're created for fellowship with god and with others and and even that uh that desire to be you know, whatever your grandchildren need in the same way you had to be a good parent, you know, and you were the sole provider of that type of stuff. That's a transitional piece that uh, once we figure this out, it really seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, Alice Freiling, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, uh, the book is called Aging Faithfully, uh, kind of a play on the aging gracefully word. Uh, and we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Alice, you've got about 60 seconds left in our time together. There's someone who's hearing this conversation and saying, wow, you've been reading my email. Uh, this, is, that's, this is the conversation we're having at our home where why is it so difficult for us to do this? What's a good first step for someone who realizes I'm in the senior season, I need to do this more faithfully and gracefully, but I, I just don't know where to start. What's a good place to start? Well, there's one passage again from the message in Matthew 6 that I go back to, and every time it's new to me, Jesus is saying, what I'm trying to get you to do here is to relax to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Mm. And then he says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And I read that passage and I think, wow, that is really true. And how wonderful it would be if I could believe that today. If I could live as though I believe that today, because mm -hmm. I do mm -hmm. believe it. Yes. Um, so I would probably want to say, as we grow older, let's relax and respond to God's giving. Relax and respond. A great uh, prescription for aging faithfully and the holy invitation of growing older. Alice Freiling has been my guest, and I can't recommend this book enough. The book called Aging Faithfully, which we have up at thebottomlineshow.com, it is just now out, and I know it's going to touch the lives of millions of people who will get a hold of it if not experience the principles that are being lived out by others who are saying, hey, this is a great way to go. Alice, thank you for responding to God's call that says, hey, there's not a book out here about this, but I'd really like to see one, and then writing a book. That's no, that's no small task. And and uh, well, I appreciate the fact you. that you've created a primer for all of us here, too. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Roger. Well, what a great resource and what a helpful conversation, especially here as we kick off this new year. Alice Freiling has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book, Aging Faithfully, The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you are in that season... Uh, if you are approaching that season or maybe there's someone you know who is moving into that season, uh, that season being the senior years, I want to talk about on the other side of this break why it's so important for us to understand the seasons of life and not that we get hung up on when do you retire, when do you not retire, that type of stuff. You know, what does God say about retirement? But rather, what is it, why it's so beneficial, not only for each of us individually, but also for our community to do that as well. That's all coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine, and at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. 
We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and, and Happy, Happy New Year, Year from, from all of us at Wilson Financial. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Alice Freiling for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. That's Fry, F-R-Y-L-I-N-G. If you're Googling along with us at home, her book is called Aging Faithfully, The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I mentioned this at the outset of our conversation. When I think about Richard Foster, the author of the book Celebration of Discipline, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, the author of the book uh, Sacred Rhythms, which is a wonderful book, uh, Stephen Messia, Peggy Wiemeyer from ABC News, uh, Michael Card, one of my all-time favorite musicians, authors, and Bible teachers, Dee Breston, uh, Leslie Leyland Fields, my goodness, the, the number of people who have lent their name in support of this resource should be enough. Uh, even Maggie Wallabro, uh, really just a, a great uh, friend and resource over the years, um, have endorsed this book, and I commend it to you as well. Remember the mantra from the, uh, the 1960s? Baby boomers were all in college, and uh, the lines were from the Who song, My Generation, I Hope I Die Before I Get Old, and Never Trust Anybody Over the Age of 30. And, you know, those were all big issues in the culture. And now all of a sudden, baby boomers are in their 60s, 70s, you know, some people pushing 80 and in that baby boom generation. How do we age gracefully? Well, I love the fact that Alice turns the phrase and says, let's not focus on aging gracefully. I mean, you're going to have a loss of physical stamina. Your body's not going to do what it used to be. Maybe you realize you got to retirement age and you never did get that brass ring on your career. Um, You need help. Uh, You're walking with a walker or a cane. Maybe you've got a caregiver working with you. It isn't terribly sexy, is it? And yet at the same time, as we age... Every one of us does it a little bit differently, and God calls each of us to a new spiritual birth every time we move into a different season of maturity. Think about it this way. Not, I don't want to get old and I'm coloring my hair and fixing my skin, but rather, the older I get, the closer I grow to God, the more I experience his grace for me. Here is renewing me from within, and of course, my outside body is wasting away, but inwardly, my spirit is stronger and healthier and never been this strong and healthy. That's what Aging Faithfully is all about, and that's what Alice Freiling writes about in her book called Aging Faithfully. We've got it up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, Pastor Jared Stevens at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston um, and this spectacular outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Toward that end, uh, Pastor Jared Stevens is also the author of a book called The The Always God. He hasn't changed, and you are not forgotten. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. On the other side of this break, uh, Jared Stevens is going to join me to talk about that book and why it's so important, especially now when so many people are going through seasons of loneliness, despair, and anguish inside the church and outside the church, and how God answers the cries of those hearts. Uh, KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next, but for those who remain on the network, Pastor Jared Stevens, the always God, coming up next as the bottom line continues. We're living in a time right now when a lot of people are moving away from the not having a religious affiliation to kind of falling into something George Barna calls the don't category, don't know, don't care about God. And I I don't believe that that's really happening. I think what's happening more and more is that there are a lot of people who are saying, I used to believe in God, but it seems like somehow we got 
separated. And it, it's tougher and tougher to feel his presence. Uh, Pastor Jared Stevens has written a brand new book that uh, has a very provocative title. And uh, we're going to have a conversation about what it means to worship the always God. He hasn't changed and you are not forgotten. We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Jared Stevens, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thanks so much for having me. So grateful to be on the show with you today. Jarrett Stevens is senior pastor of Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And this is a church that is described as not only one of the largest, but one of the most diverse churches in America. How do you define diversity in your church, Pastor Jarrett Stevens? Well, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, our our church looks like our community, which is wonderful. Houston's Mm, one of the most diverse cities in the country. And so uh, that's one of the things that really turned my heart when I was coming to Champion Forest is, uh, as I was looking at the church and getting to know the church, was to just to see uh, that there were all different types of people here. You had brown, black, white, young, old, and so it's just beautiful. We've got a large Spanish congregation that's a part of our church here, and uh, many language groups, so it's just wonderful to be a part of. looks like the kingdom of God to me. I love it. I love it. And yet I've seen recently, and this is not part of our full formal discussion, but since you brought it up, I've seen a lot more pastors who are speaking out saying, you know, we've tried the multi-ethnic, we've tried the diversity. It doesn't really work all that well. It sounds like you would actually beg to differ their assertion. Well, you know, there's there's a, a big difference between being multicolored and multicultural. And so uh, mm. you've got to decide, uh, you know, from a leadership standpoint, if you want to be multicultural, and I believe we're doing a very good job at moving in that direction, uh, you've got to understand that you're going to have to lay your preferences on the altar and uh, really, uh, you know, give up the, some of the things that you hold dear because there are different expressions of how people worship and the people's different backgrounds of where people come from. And so, you know, I, I think your church needs to reflect your community, number one. And uh, two, it ought to look like the kingdom of God. And uh, that's why I'm so blessed to be a part of a church like Champion Force because it does both. I think that's great. Well, let's take a look at the book now and the fact that you refer to God as the always God. And you're hearing from a lot of people, I'm sure. The pandemic was kind of what was the uh, French Revolution phrase. It was the best of times and worst of times for a lot of people in terms of a lot of people growing stronger in their faith. A lot of ministries that we know and support are are booming. I had the best year ever in 2020. Other churches were folding. Some people were turning away from faith, depression, opioid use. I mean, it, it seemed like it was feast or famine. There was no real middle ground on this. Uh, what was it like for you with your church, with your family, as it pertains to the writing of this book? You know, when, when we were in a nationwide timeout, if you will, and nobody was going to work and nobody's <laughs> going to school, uh, I, was, I, I would oftentimes spend a lot of time outside going running and uh, just thinking. And uh, I remember a song that came on as I was running. It was real popular in, in late 2019, beginning 2020, Waymaker. Uh, even when we don't feel it, he's yeah. working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. And I would run to that song. And, you know, as a pastor, I was mm-hmm. getting a lot of questions, Roger. Like, you know, what's going on? Does God see what's happening? We had people losing jobs, people getting cuts in pay. You had people getting sick, some of their loved ones dying. And so there were a lot of questions being asked, like, what's going on? Does God see what's happening? Or, you know, I'm praying for my loved one or this situation in my life. And uh, I don't feel like my prayer is going past the ceiling of the room that I'm in. And uh, is God paying attention? And so God just really birthed this message in my heart uh, that, you know what, God is the always God. And this book is broken up into three parts. One is he's always here. 
And that first part is God, the scripture says God is an ever-present help. He's always here. And so I talk about the fact Amen. how God always sees us, always hears us, and always speaks to us through his word. The second part is he's always working. And I think that's so important that he, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it sometimes, even when we don't think he is, uh, God is always at work. And so part two kind of unpacks that idea. And then part three is, is that God is always faithful. You know, the, the scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. He's never failed us, and he's never going to. And so I unpack in those two chapters just the fact that God can be trusted. Uh, you never have to lose your hope in him. He is the always God. And Roger, I think the subtitle says it all. He hasn't changed. And really what I wanted to underscore in this book is you are not forgotten. No matter what you're going through, Amen. no matter what you may think or feel, you are not forgotten. Boy, that's a powerful message from pastor and author Jarrett Stevens today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Always God, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I, I would agree with you, uh, Jarrett. I think that the uh, the song Waymaker kind of became the unofficial anthem of the church <laughs> during the pandemic yeah. because it seemed I like did, a lot yeah. of us were singing it. Yeah, and, and it, ma it makes a lot of sense because I've noticed, and it seems like just anecdotally, this is my experience, the last year was one of those years where it seemed like God would move in a certain area and say, this is where I'm leading you. And if you didn't move in that moment, the door was kind of closing behind you, you know, so what we were holding mm -hmm. on to wasn't there anyway. So you may as well move forward yeah. because God's not only saying, take the step, but it's not what you were holding on to isn't going to be there. And, and I love the fact that you, you really stress the impact of the I am statement of God in all throughout this, as opposed to the, where am I? Because when you talk about, you know, God's always here, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to answer prayer the way we want it to, but it doesn't mean he leaves us just because he doesn't answer that way. Talk about that. That's right. Well, you know, the, uh, the scripture, the, the great thing about God, the always God, is he never changes. Everything else in life does. We change the mm. situations and circumstances of life change, but God never changes. And while this isn't an attributes of God's, uh, of God's book, uh, I do try to tell personal stories that illustrate the truth that I'm communicating in a chapter. And, you know, like the, the, the chapter on God is always seen. You know, we go through something, a br relationship breakup, the death of a loved one, we lost of a job. We think, God, do you really, or do you see what's going on? Uh, and sometimes we think, you know, God's eternal and he's old, so he must take naps on Sunday afternoon uh, <laughs> right? like we do. Yeah. But, but God, nothing gets past God. The scripture says that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. And so I talk about a story in there about Hagar, who uh, was, you know, at a desperate situation in her life, and uh, she is in a desert area, and an angel visits her and, and, and speaks a word of life over her, and she calls that place, if you remember, Elroy-E, the God who sees me. And so he's a personal God who's not just seeing our situation, but he sees me in the situation, my heart, my fears, my anxieties, my worries. And I just think, man, what a great God that we serve, that we, again, not based on what we think or feel at the time, but on the truth of God's Word and who he is and who he's revealed himself in Scripture, he's a personal God uh, that is ready to, to meet every need that we have in life. You know, it's amazing, too, when you think about the, the fact that he is always there. There are a lot of people who are wrestling. I was reading a report from Reuters not too long ago. Actually, the Reuters Foundation, I think at Oxford University, was citing the fact that uh, the trust in the media in the United States is not only all-time low for our country, it's the lowest in the world since they've ever started recording this. It's like 29% mm -hmm. of all adults believe what they actually see in the media, and yet we keep looking 
to the media to find out what's going on, what's happening with the pandemic or uh, the building collapse in Miami or whatever it is. And, and we look at those things and oftentimes they can kind of become attractive distractions away from the truth of God. Uh, talk about the, the, the need for God's word, having it planted firmly in our hearts, especially during the times like we're living through right now. Well, you know, uh, I have in my Bible written over and over and over again, Roger, these two words, trust and entrust. Trust and entrust. Mm. You read the scriptures, and it seems the call on the believer's life is, God, we are to trust you, and we are to entrust our lives, our marriages, our children, our jobs and careers, uh, our finances. We are to entrust all that we are to you. And so when you are in God's Word— uh, it, it, it builds that trust muscle because you begin to see not only has God moved in the past, but as you begin to pray God's word in and you grow in your confidence of your identity in Christ and who he is to you, it, it grows our trust. And when you're listening uh, to so much of the world, uh, you know, to use your word, that is exactly what it is. You get distracted and you, you're not building that faith muscle and that trust muscle that we desperately need in times like these. And so I believe, you know, God's sovereign. Uh, the Scripture says he's in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And he allowed COVID to happen for a divine purpose. Mm-hmm. And I yes. think one of the things that as believers we've got to look at and see is, you know, nothing touches the child of God without first filtering through his holy hands. And as we get to know the God that loves us, created us, knit us together in our mother's womb, as we begin to grow in our knowledge of Him through Scripture, uh, in our personal relationship with Him, through spending intimate time with Him in prayer, what happens is our trust begins to grow and grow and grow. And what I've noticed, Roger, is our trust in God grows, our cynicism in people minimizes. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, you know, there's a correlation there, but it all starts with making sure that your mind and heart are in Scripture. Pastor Jared Stephen is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Always God. He hasn't changed and you are not forgotten. We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break. We've been talking about how this, uh, these principles impact us individually, uh, but we also realize we're living in a world right now where there are a lot of people who are dealing with anxiety, frustration, even more and more people leaving the church or leaving the faith. And uh, you have to wonder, did they have a real faith to begin with? We'll, we'll talk with Pastor Stevens about uh, ways that we can communicate these truths to people who are nervous, jittery, and may have one foot out the door anyway. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Hey, Roger Marsh here with a special announcement for our friends at Preborn. This Sunday, December 31st, is the end of the year. It's also the end of the calendar year. It's also the last chance you have to make a tax-deductible donation to Preborn to support the ministry of providing free ultrasounds for women who are expecting and not quite sure what their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, your $28 donation provides an ultrasound visit and also will be doubled, so that's worth $56. If you make a $15,000 donation right now, which is a great thing to do if you have the means. It's a great tax deduction for you. It provides one ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic right here in the Southland. But also, since the gift is doubled, your one ultrasound machine becomes two. But you have to act before midnight, December 31st. Give a gift online at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner that you find right there. It doesn't take more than a minute to make the donation that way. Or give them a call, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY. 850-B-A-B-Y. That's 833-850-2229. 
Preborn is the best pro-life ministry I've come across in years. The Preborn ultrasound technology is life-changing and life-saving. Give a gift today. Pastor Jarrett Stevens is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. He's the senior pastor of Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Uh, has a master's from uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, earned his doctorate of ministry from Liberty Theological Seminary. And I'm going to begin to pronounce your undergraduate uh, college and university there, Jarrett. <laughs> Washita Baptist University. What is it? Wachita? There you go. And where do we find that school? Washita is in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. <laughs> so it's hey, you'll know it, Roger. There you it's go. Home to Mike Huckabee, uh, former presidential uh, candidate oh, and uh, governor yes. of Arkansas, and mm-hmm. Point of Grace. So many of your listeners remember Point of Grace. Oh, that came out well, of well, there you go. I remember yep. them well. Well, there you go. So that that's great. I'm sure you have no trouble ordering sweatshirts and gear from the school. That's because it may uh, not be you, a huge you demand do, for them. You, but <laughs> yeah, you better do it from their bookstore. Uh, that's the only way. That's yeah, right. Happen. <laughs> Amazon won't touch that stuff, but I think that's, no, it's wonderful. It's a great background you have. Uh, Dr. Stevens is the author of a book called The Always God. He hasn't changed and you are not forgotten. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jared, before the break, we were talking about the fact that it's one thing for people in the church to have this reminder and what a great encouraging word that you have shared with us as Christians. But we're, there are more and more of these people who are, what was the guy, uh, uh, Kevin Max from DC Talk joining the group of what they call Exvangelicals, you know, people who maybe yeah. the pa- the pandemic year was the year they said, "Gosh, I don't, I, I don't know, what I believe anymore." And, and people who bring a certain level of doubt into their their faith as well. It seems like that's the only thing that's really certain to them is that they doubt it. How can we who are being reminded of the always God and the fact that the great I am is I am? He's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. How do we help reach others with this message, especially during these tender times? Well, I think it begins with your own personal walk with the Lord. That's where your faith is reinforced. That's where your doubt is driven away. You know, I think as believers, we have to always remember there is always going to be an element of doubt when you're having faith. So don't get discouraged by that. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when, when we when we become doubtful or fearful or scared, uh, you know, or start rethinking, man, do I really believe this? What What happens is we tend to lean out instead of lean in. And so I encourage believers mm. that when you're doubting, that's when you, that's when you really lean in, uh, because the Lord's gonna, you know, he, that's uh, it's been said a faith that can't be uh, that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. And so there's gonna be times that we go through. Uh, God, life's gonna throw us curveballs, and there's gonna be things that happen to us that we don't understand. And that's never a time to lean out; it's a time to lean in. And then the second thing I would say to that, Roger, is I disciple people all the time, and one of the things I really try to encourage is. I'll like draw an image of a train, and on the front of the train is an engine, and on the back is the caboose. And I'll just write in the engine the word fact, and on the caboose the word feelings. And I think sometimes Mm. we get those two things mixed up, and when feelings are driving the engine of our life, our life is going to look like an EKG heart chart. It's going to be up, down, up, down, up, down, (laughs) because our feelings come and go. You can't trust your feelings. And what I've noticed in a lot of these ex-evangelicals is they're, they're living based off of the feelings and emotions of life instead mm-hmm. of the truth of God's Word. And so when you're basing your life off a of truth, off a of fact, it's a much steadier climb than it is if you're living off of feelings. And so that's what this book, I try to get to in the heart of my book, is listen, just because you don't feel like God's working, 
that that what your your feelings are deceptive. You can't trust them. I mean, I just you know at the time when we're recording this, I just ate lunch. Well, I feel a little hungry still, but the reality <laughs> is, I could go another few days without eating. I, I mean, oh, I'm yeah. not hungry, but I feel it. And so yeah. we you can't live off of feelings. You got to live off of truth. And as you live off of truth, what I've noticed is. God proves himself over and over and over and over again. And when you live off truth, the feelings will follow. Yeah, I heard it described one way where uh, a, a, a pastor who explained it this way and said, look, your feelings are really just a thermometer. They, they kind of take your temperature. They let you know where you are. But that's not necessarily a driving force. I mean, you have to make some changes, but they're going to be what they are. You know, and, and, and Dr. That's Dobson's right. book from years ago, Emotions, Can You Trust Them? And yet so many people are, are doing so and, and, and not only feeling the, you know, the, the, the feelings that they have, there's a certain level of maybe disappointment. Maybe the Christian life didn't, quote unquote, turn out the way they wanted to, or even some regrets. Uh, Pastor Jared Stevens in The Always God talk about how the fact that God hasn't changed and we are not forgotten sometimes leaves people feeling exposed with the fact that we've got some regrets in our life either before we came to faith or even after we came to faith, and we just don't know how to, don't know how to reconcile them in God's economy. Yeah, and that's where, again, I know I sound like a broken record, and I tell our, our church this all the time, that you know, if people say, you know, how, what's your pastor preach like? I hope that they'll, they'll say, you know, he's a broken record. He just tells me to spend time alone in the Scripture every single day and spend time alone with God, because that is the, the, the theme of our life, because it's when we're spending time alone with the Lord where we, we understand our identity is not in what we have done. It's not in what we do. Our identity is found in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did Amen. for us. It's found in His mm -hmm. resurrection. And so when I come to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, I find everything I need in the, go in the message of the gospel. My mm -hmm. identity, my security, the fact that I've been adopted, I've been loved, I've been forgiven, there's no condemnation. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And so I just want to encourage uh, you know, those that are listening— uh, that's the beauty of the always God, because when you fail him, the scripture says he hasn't failed us. When we're faithless, he's faithful, and Amen. he's always faithful. He's the always God. So I would just say you've got to spend more time alone with the Lord uh, in prayer and in time in the scripture so that uh, when the enemy accuses, he is the accuser of the brethren and all those feelings. We've talked about feelings a lot, begin to overwhelm you and, and those feelings of guilt and all those things. You take them right where they belong, and that is to the to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's encouraging to hear this conversation and to have this dialogue because of the fact that there are so many people who are hurting right now, and and people who are maybe even to the point where they've they felt like leaving. And yet, Pastor Jared Stevens, you're seeing at your church right now. There's a very diverse group of people who are all coming together from your community in in uh, Houston, and and worshiping and fellowshipping and experiencing that. And it's not just a Sunday morning high or a midweek buzz. I mean, it's really life transforming. Take the final couple moments of our a uh, couple of minutes of our time together here, and, and talk about that encouragement. There's a pastor listening to us right now who's ready to hang it up because of the same type of disappointments, either so many people in the congregation or maybe himself personally. Uh, give that word of encouragement to that person. Well, thank you for the opportunity to do so. And I would just say uh, that whatever anyone may be going through where they feel discouraged, they feel um, like uh, God's not hearing their prayer, they feel like God doesn't see their situation, I would just say that Scripture which is what we lean in and lean on and trust in, 
uh, says the exact opposite, and that God does care, that he sees your situation intimately. I think the, the, the root issue at hand oftentimes is not that, not that God doesn't see us or hear us, but oftentimes the, that God doesn't, do, he doesn't work on our timetable. And I think that's right. what can be so frustrating so, 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 so many people so many times. Uh, God does his best work in times of waiting. And so for those that are discouraged and those that are, are hurting, I would just encourage you to stay faithful and keep waiting on the Lord and keep trusting in him because he will not fail you. And God is doing something in this waiting time in your life uh, that, that nothing, he can't, he can't accomplish it any other way. And so I would encourage you, don't waste your wait and don't mm. interpret God's silence as God not loving you and not caring for you. He is doing something deeply in you. And I would just go so far to say this to the person that is discouraged. God cares way more about you than even that situation that you're in, more than that job that you're you're in, more than he cares about you. And so he's doing some hard work in you in this waiting time, whatever that waiting season may be like. And so I, my, my, my encouragement, my challenge is to just trust in him, trust and entrust, wait on him, and you, you will see that God has not forgotten you. Uh, his eye is on you, and he will lead you to greater days uh, in the future. Boy, I love that. Don't waste your wait. Oh my goodness, that is so powerful, and and it's it's really important for us to understand, especially in the uh, the era that we're living in right now. There are so many people who are still wrestling with issues, and um, I, I'm just so grateful that you have uh, taken the time, uh, Pastor Jared Stevens, to not only put this book together, but to give us the opportunity to uh, uh, have a conversation with you about uh, the fact that God is the great I am, and the subtitle of your book is going to uh, resonate with us uh, through all eternity. The book is called The Always God. He hasn't changed, and you are not forgotten. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Jared Stevens, thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thanks for having me. And that concludes my conversation uh, with Pastor Jarrett Stevens, the book called The Always God, He Hasn't Changed and You Are Not Forgotten. Uh, Pastor Stevens, of course, is the uh, lead pastor at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. It's literally one of the largest and most diverse churches in America. And so I think that's wonderful. And how many people, when they meet God for the first time, realize that he is the always God that Pastor Jared Stevens writes about in his new book. The book, The Always God, He Hasn't Changed You and You Are Not Forgotten, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friend. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year from, from all, all of us at Wilson, Wilson Financial. Financial. 
Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to pastor and author Jared Stevens for the book, The Always God. He hasn't changed and you are not forgotten. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com if you want to click through. Of course, we usually put a link to some uh, book buying service on there. So if you do decide what you liked, what you heard and what you read about the book and you want to order it, you can. We don't make any money off it here at the Bottom Line Show. When we give away the books, it's because the publisher gives us a copy and we give it to you. You know, it's interesting. Throughout Scripture, God reveals himself using a lot of different names. And each of these different names describes a different part of his nature and his character. And each one tells us something really fascinating about those things. The eternal name that God chose to use when revealing himself to Moses at the burning bush, I am. And it's interesting because I remember reading that. You know, it's in all caps, I am. First time I read that when I was reading through scripture and I remember seeing that and thinking, you know what? Um, I am is kind of strange to me because I know that for me, I am, but I also have a past, so I was, and I also thank the Lord have a future, so I will be. But when God speaks to Moses at the burning bush and refers to himself as I am, basically it's interesting how he says, look, other things in this life are going to change. God does not change. And then centuries after the Moses encounter, when Jesus says, I am, and gives seven distinct I am statements, they help us to see how the I am from the past is still the I am today, who is the I am who always will be. Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, as it turns out, that I am statement is so important for people who might have had a bad experience in the church or been roughed up by some people who professed to be Christians but really weren't. I know my friend and colleague Bob Duco from the National Crawford Roundtable. Bob grew up in the occult. He grew up in a group called the Worldwide Church of God or Worldwide Church of Christ. It garnered Ted Armstrong people. He said it took him a long time to figure out who the real God was because he'd been fed this false, this whole diet of false statements about him. But the always God doesn't change. And the always God will never forget one who either gets pushed out of church or runs away from him. If you are called according to his purpose, you can always come home. You know that your always God is your always heavenly father. And that's the best always statement anyone can make. And that's the bottom line. 